Hello, and welcome to A Well-Read Life. This is a place to share stories about good books and the reading life. I'm your host, Beth Jamison. Join me as I meander through my reading journey and discover the books that make up A Well-Read Life. Does familiarity with a book cause us to think we know the book better than we do? Is a deeper meaning or the intent of the author missed because we take the book and its message for granted? Is this a disservice to author and book, or merely an occupational hazard? These are the questions I've been asking myself after rereading some of Jane Austen's work. Like many women of my generation, I have read her books and watched movie adaptations until I had portions memorized, or at the very least could paraphrase them especially Pride and Prejudice. Because of my familiarity with her books, I have put them squarely in the romance or romantic comedy genre. But after a closer reading, recently, I am now wondering if I have misjudged Jane Austen's work for years. I have questions. Can her novels be relegated strictly to the romance genre? I thought so once. I'm not so sure now. A comedy writer, yes. No one can mistake that wit. But romance? I circle around my initial question. Have I been too familiar with the text? Have I forgotten how to let Jane Austen surprise me? Perhaps I should start at the beginning to find out. And now, here's more about the story. My first introduction to Jane Austen was through Mrs. Reynolds, a dear family friend. Mrs. Reynolds was a former Atlanta children's librarian who had retired to our town in the little yellow brick bungalow she had lovingly named nearby. When my family met her, she was in her late 80s, with beautiful snow-white hair and wit and spades. My mom would bring my siblings and I over to have tea, book chats, and poetry recitations with her. We adored Mrs. Reynolds and eagerly looked forward to our visits. Not many people welcomed so many children into their home so graciously. She was like a surrogate grandmother to us. And in spite of suffering from debilitating arthritis, I have never met a more joyful person. Plastered across the wooden cabinets in Mrs. Reynolds' kitchen was a bumper sticker in bold white print against a red background that read, I'd rather be reading Austin, as if in defiance of the cooking she detested. Her cabinets probably held fewer things than the Lorna Dunes she adored, but she had made her stand. Jane Austen overcooking any day. This was my first introduction to Jane Austen, and the first time I realized that I had a choice in liking cooking or not. Until then, because I come from a family of excellent home cooks, I thought I was destined to spend my days over a hot stove in the kitchen. I'm slowly coming to terms with cooking, and even enjoy it most days. But regardless of this, Mrs. Reynolds was a woman after my own heart. I'd rather be reading Jane Austen, too, any day. I remember looking up at Mrs. Reynolds' cabinets and wondering who Austin was. They must have been someone great. But did I dare ask? If I did, I was taking the risk of looking stupid or worse, offending our dear Mrs. Reynolds. Who doesn't feel a twinge of offense when someone boldly proclaims they have never heard of one's favorite writer? Now I look back with a slight pang of regret that I didn't ask. Mrs. Reynolds would have relished telling me about Jane Austen. She wouldn't have shamed me for not knowing who she was. 
My question was soon answered, though, when the mid-90s Jane Austen craze hit. Jane Austen was suddenly everywhere, in the movies we watched, and in newspaper and magazine articles. Finally, I read, Jane Austen was getting the credit and attention she deserved during this resurgence of her work. It was as if my generation was claiming her as their own, their patron saint of pop culture. We were the enlightened ones, who finally recognized the genius of Jane Austen. I stumbled headfirst into the craze. I watched every movie adaptation of her novels, and slowly over Christmases and birthdays, along with my sister, I collected all of her completed novels and read them all, losing all sense of time as I read. I remember staying up until the wee hours of the morning in high school to finish Mansfield Park. In the changing and chaotic world around us, Jane Austen was a welcome world of safety and charm. And to two dreamy teenagers, there was the added incentive of love and romance. Pride and Prejudice, by way of the mid-90s miniseries, was my first foray into Jane Austen. We watched it as a family, my younger brothers included, who were thrilled with the chance to play Legos past their bedtime. My mom would make allowances for our cultural benefit. None of us knew how much we would love it. For three days, we were mesmerized by this new world of Jane Austen's Regency England. We could not get enough of it, re-watching it to soak up the language, the manners, the fashion. And then to further feed our addiction, we went to the library and checked out a copy of the book. And just as we had gathered around the TV to watch the miniseries, the five of us younger kids my youngest brother, four or five, gathered around Mom on the couch and listened as she read from the faded blue cloth-bound copy. The book and the miniseries became one of our family treasures, memorizing portions by heart. It was witty, charming, and romantic, and I was content to leave it in that sphere. As a teenager and later as an adult, I followed the familiar trajectory of the story excitedly. Elizabeth Bennet and Mr. Darcy meet. They hate each other. Or at least Elizabeth hates him. He secretly loves her, much to his chagrin. Mr. Collins shows up, the unctuous cousin who will inherit the Bennet family home. Mr. Collins proposes to Lizzie. She refuses. He marries her best friend. Mr. Darcy proposes. She refuses. But later, after some bumps along the road, and Darcy's true character is revealed... Elizabeth accepts his proposal. But before the final act, we're in suspense whether they will end up together or not. I think of Tom Hanks' character in You've Got Mail, saying, I bet you just can't wait to see if they'll end up together. We couldn't. And we would dissect and discuss who was pride and who was prejudice in the title. Both we finally concluded. But caught up in the romance, I had paid little attention to Jane Austen's wit and forthrightness. I missed how she, with so subtle a hand it's barely perceptible, elevates her sex. Her heroines are sensible, rational, intelligent. It was as if I was reading in training wheels. For Christmas a few years ago, I got a subscription to Audible. And much to my delight, I found a version of Pride and Prejudice narrated by Rosamund Pike. At under $3, I bought it immediately. During my short stint as an English major, I had avoided classes which had Pride and Prejudice's required reading. Afraid I wasn't up to the task of hearing my beloved book dissected by a room full of opinionated English students. 
It had been over twenty years since we sat around our couch in the living room, listening to Mom read it, and even to an avid rereader like me, I felt that I was familiar enough with the story not to read it again for a very long time. But Rosamond Pike was narrating it, and I had heard rave reviews about the performance, so I added it to my book queue. And one day, when work was particularly slow and trying, I popped in my earbuds and started to listen. I found myself laughing out loud from the first chapter. What is this book, I thought? How is this the same one we read so long ago? In my teenage years, it had been amusing, but I was too caught up in the romance and manners to notice the humor. As a 30-something, Jane Austen was hilarious, with a biting, mannered wit. The romance took backstage as I laughed over Mr. Collins' awkward marriage proposal, and then cringed. I couldn't stop listening to it. It was as if I was discovering Jane Austen for the first time. I listened during my short commute, at work, and Lord help the co-worker who tried to interrupt it, and while I cooked dinner. I called my mom and said, you have to reread Pride and Prejudice. Jane Austen is hilarious. I tried to convince reluctant readers to give Jane Austen another try. Forget what you read in high school, I argued with my husband. I got my mom to read it, but my husband is a hard sale. Almost from the first lines, Jane Austen leaves us in little doubt of what we are to expect from her novel, humor and wit. Of course, there is romance in the novel, too. Marriage is, after all, a center plot point of the story, and it is one of the most iconic love stories in all of literature, and for good reason. Who can't help but swoon a little when Mr. Darcy proposes for the second time to Lizzie, and he calls her dearest, loveliest Elizabeth. Yes, I had that speech memorized as a teenager. When they clear all misunderstandings, and with humility and repentance, make things right between themselves. But it doesn't stop at the romance. Jane Austen takes the opportunity with this love story to show what a good and happy marriage, made up of mutual respect, trust, and love, can look like. Jane Austen shows us different pictures of marriage throughout the book, some good, some bad. Through the Bennets, we see what becomes of a marriage when it is formed first from attraction, but later regretted. We see a picture of a loving, trusting, and amiable marriage in the gardeners. I cringe to think what would become of Lydia and Wickham's marriage as it descends into inevitable destruction. And Charlotte and Mr. Collins? Well, at least Charlotte knew what she was getting into with eyes wide open. I have been properly chastised for my youthful misunderstanding of Jane Austen. So would I now consider her books romances or romantic comedies? I don't know. Comedies, perhaps, with characters crossed in love and a marriage at the end. So why am I, someone who would count romantic comedies as one of her favorite movie genres, so opposed to putting Jane Austen in this category? If I'm honest, it's because I want her genius to be taken seriously. I don't want it to be dismissed because she is a female writer. I feel as if it is a disservice to her. After all, how many of Shakespeare's comedies include weddings at the end? I want, with a clear conscience, to give Jane Austen the credit she deserves. She is whip-crack funny and shows us a world where women are rational, intelligent, and esteemed, all in an age when women were not always treated as such. There are silly women 
certainly in all of the Jane Austen canon. The hypochondriac Mrs. Bennet, who will marry her daughters off no matter what social disgrace she must put them through to achieve it, for instance. But, oh, Jane Austen does not suffer fools, and has a sharp critique of that behavior. To her heroines, though, she is kinder, and shows them as rational, not overwrought with emotion, witty and intelligent, imperfect and flawed, but inspiring all the same. I'm slowly making my way through Jane Austen's novels again. Pride and Prejudice, Emma, Sense and Sensibility, and Persuasion have all been checked off, and now I have only Mansfield Park and Northanger Abbey to go. No doubt I'll start the rotation over once I finish reading these two. I also owe a sort of debt to Jane Austen since rereading her, because she has recently broadened my circle of friends. Not too long ago, I stood waiting in line at an author event and met three lovely women, and as we waited, we talked about books. And naturally, Pride and Prejudice was one of them. These ladies have become dear friends since then, and we have formed our own book club. Guess which book was our first pick to read? Which goes to show the power of good books. Friendships are forged by them. I wish with all my heart that Mrs. Reynolds was still earthbound, and we could sit down to tea at nearby, with a bouquet of daisies between us, her favorite flowers, and while away the hours talking about Jane Austen. I would love to know which was her favorite. I never got to ask her. Mine has a tendency to change, but always, Pride and Prejudice is at the top. If you've never read Jane Austen, then do. And reread her if you have. The language can be tricky and difficult to understand at first, but it is well worth stumbling through until it is mastered. You will be treated to lots of wit and dry humor, and not a scene of word wasted or out of place, and a little bit of a love story thrown in for good measure. This episode is dedicated to Mrs. Allie Reynolds, who welcomed a brood of children into her home with grace, humor, and love, and as though we were her own. What joy you brought to our family. <laughs> 